may be seated. What a wonderful day the Lord has given us. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Here we find solemn peace and joy before the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us so many gifts. One of the greatest gifts that you've given us that you draw us unto yourself. And the more we worship you, the more we yield our and submit ourselves to you, the closer we become to you. Your favor. Moses one day prayed, if I have found favor in your sight, show me thy ways that I may know you. And Lord, today we want to find favor in your sight. We want the joy and the hope and the peace that comes by being in your presence. And Lord, today we live in a world that is seemingly destined for self-destruction. There's evil on every hand. Satan is busy. The Bible declares he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Lord, today we want to be delivered from him. We want to overcome him in and through the name of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. And Lord, we know that you can only bless when we're committed clean, forgiven. And Father, if there's something in our lives that hinders us from having that close relationship, we want to take a moment right now and pause. And each one of us ask for clean forgiveness and cleansing that we may be close to you. Let us pray right now. Heavenly Father, search us out. You know us better than anyone else, better than we ourselves. And Father, we pray for perfect and total cleansing. You said in your word, if we confess our sins, you'd be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We accept that and we claim that promise. And Lord, today we pray as the word is given and spoken by our guest speaker today that the Holy Spirit will just cause it to permeate our very being, that we may become more like Jesus. Lord, we love you with all of our heart, and we want to follow him all the days of our lives. Thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. in the absence of our pastor it seems like he's been gone a month I don't know about you but I wish him a lot of refreshing spiritually and physically he's carrying quite a load he's able to do this but only through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit leads and directs him so pray for him meanwhile here today we come into a refreshing presence 
of the spoken word of God. And it is our privilege today to have our guest speaker, Jason Halverson, young man who's starting an exciting mission downtown San Jose. And I know it's going to be a battle because Satan doesn't want to give up one block of territory. But you know, I'm reminded of a promise that God gave to Joshua when he entered into the promised land. He said, he said, everywhere that you set the sole of your foot, So, welcome our guest, Jason. As he comes. I got this. My goodness, that is an introduction that I'm just ready to storm the gates of hell right now. Let's go do it with a water pistol. They got nothing on us. Thank you so much, Pastor Rex. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm actually overwhelmed. I'm still reeling from that. Um, just because my soul has touched many places, the soles of my feet have touched many places downtown now from San Jose State to Japantown to all around there, and to think that the Lord would give us that, to think that the Lord would say yes to his spirit just moving in downtown San Jose. I was kind of shaking. So we might be preaching about something else here in a minute because you're firing me up right now. Um, but it is a privilege to be here this morning. My name is Jason Helveston. I am uh, leading a church plant in downtown San Jose, and it is the most terrifying and wonderful experience of my life. Um, as oftentimes, as I'm sure many of you can testify, being in the center of God's will is both of those things. It's both absolutely terrifying, but absolutely peaceful in the same uh, breath. Because we know there's no other place we'd want to be, and yet we're really not in control. <laughs> we're really totally surrendered to what God is doing, and it's an exciting thing. And uh, your pastor, Pastor Douglas, has been a great friend and advocate already uh, for me just in the few months I've been back in town. I did most of my growing up in San Jose. I went to Mount Pleasant High School, um, went to Cedar Grove Elementary. So if there are any cougars in the house, go team. Um, but it's, it's been a uh, kind of a big journey to kind of come back. I didn't think I was coming back to California. I'd been in Southern California, but also in Colorado for a few years, but have received this call to plant a church in downtown San Jose. And by God's grace, that's exactly what we are doing and will do. Um, but again, your pastor has been such a dear friend and uh, just a great sounding board, a great encouragement to me. We've had many uh, lattes and cups of Pike's Place coffee together at Starbucks already, so um, I'm sure you know that's one of his favorite places, um, and I'm happy to meet him there because it's one of my favorite places. Um, so thank you so much for already the warm reception uh, of having me here this morning, and uh, we do come together at a time when it's really difficult to uh, move forward in the gospel. And so I think it's more important than ever that we not simply see a church in Berryessa as separate from a church in downtown San Jose, but really as the one church with Jesus as our senior pastor. And we just are all under shepherds, us pastors, to his ultimate shepherdhood. And so we just kind of surrender to that, and we're excited to partner with Berryessa in whatever ways the Lord would see that we do that. Um, it's, it's, again, a very terrifying but exciting time downtown. We're seeing so many opportunities for the gospel to be preached. We're seeing so many opportunities for the gospel to be received in a way that I don't know that it would have been uh, years ago. There is a return of kind of magnetism downtown, if you will, with all these new high-rises, these new businesses, so many different things happening downtown. And really, we're coming in and saying, we want to build something too. 
Um, is that okay with everybody? Maybe not a physical church at the beginning, but much like Nehemiah, we want to have a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other and really be used by God to help build the kingdom in a place where it doesn't tangibly exist right now because Jesus is the king of the world. There's just some people that don't know it yet, you know? And so we're, we're down there to proclaim his, him as king and pray that people would receive that uh, message. So it's exciting to be a part of this network of churches, including uh, City Church, where I am... Uh, lead pastor, and also with Barry Essa as they are out here in this area. If you want to know kind of more about what we're doing, I only have kind of a small amount of time to share this morning, but there are some cards that are right by the door as you leave, so if you would humor me in taking one of those and putting them on your refrigerator and pray for me like a grandkid, that would be great. Um, we'd really appreciate it, uh, because this really, you know, as the word says, we're, we're not in a physical battle. We're not in a battle of flesh and blood, but we are in a spiritual battle. And uh, so many things that are happening that the eye can't see, but the heart really senses. And so uh, we just beg for your prayers as brothers and sisters and as uh, really co-ministers of the gospel, uh, much like Paul and Timothy. We're just uh, accountability partners and guys that uh, had the same mission, but in different locations. And so we pray that we would have a great partnership that way. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending our time in Matthew 16 this morning. So go ahead and turn there if you would. And as you're turning, I just want to uh, pray briefly for our time in the Word. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. God, in times that are so uncertain, in times that are just so shifting and changing, whether it be the economy or whatever it is, God, there's so many things that are um, changing and so many things that are not solid. We can say on Jesus Christ, the solid rock we stand. And there is nothing shifting about you. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no one like you, God. There is no other name uh, on heaven and on earth like the name of Jesus. And it's his name that we preach. It's his name that we lift up. I beg, God, I beg that that would be the name that we preach. I pray that that would be the name that we remember. May our names and our titles fade, but may the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, remain. And we just pray, God, that through the preaching of your message, uh, that as you've proven time and time again, that it would go forward and not return void. Uh, Father, help me to serve my friends well by being responsible and clear with your word. And I pray that my friends who are within the hearing of this word would be responsible in their response to your word. We do this as brothers and sisters and really as your kids. And we pray that we would do that uh, faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we, we live in a, t in a time where the idea of church is quite fluid. The idea of what a church is is really up for definition and up for debate. You ask 100 different Christians what church is, and you'll get 300 different answers. People really aren't sure, or they've just heard before that it's like this, or my church does it this way, and yours may do it differently. And church changes, and ch the idea of church has kind of shifted from maybe being more of pews and pulpits to different locations and different ideas. And it's interesting because... Jesus started a church, and I don't know that he said, just do whatever you want with it. I think his idea of church was something just like his own identity, like his own self, was not going to be changing. That there's something that's solid about church. But what is it? Really, what is a church? And in my particular time and context, it's a really important question. If I say, I'm in downtown San Jose planting a church, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that, well, we don't have a pulpit, and we don't have a sweet piano, and we definitely don't have cool lights like this. And this, this microphone that I have that wraps around my ear, we don't have that. 
so I really barely know what to do with it right now, but we don't have these things that maybe we normally see as an expression of church. So are we a church yet? Will, will we be a church at some point? I mean, where, where exactly is that line do we cross over what a church is? Particularly with the advent of kind of the online generation, if you will, church has become an even more fluid term. Your pastor even has entered this conversation in writing a book called Sim Church, which kind of talks about online church. And so what, what is it that's the same with an online church as it would be about the physical location? And am I still a part of the church when I go sip lattes with my friend? I mean, is that is the church happening there? I mean, even people are asking questions. There's three dudes in a bar, and they're sharing some drink, you know, that isn't caffeinated, but something else. And they say the name of Jesus. I mean, is that church? Did church happen there? And if three ladies scrapbook together, I mean, and say Jesus once, is that church? And maybe they sing a song together? What exactly is the church? And it's an important question right now because the church is taking on so many different forms, so many different expressions. And if it's difficult for us as believers in Christ to understand what the church is, imagine someone who is outside of Christ. Imagine somebody who's being flooded by the market of church and religion to say, well, what is truth and what isn't? It's particularly difficult in my neck of the woods in uh, Japantown is where I live, and there's a church that is the San Jose Buddhist Church. Is, is that a church? Are we on the same team because they use the same word? Or is that something different? Because normally a Buddhist uh, community would call themselves a temple or they're building, building a temple. But what if they use the word church? Is, is, are, is that the same thing as us? Is that what Jesus was talking about? You see, this is really an important question when it comes down to our mission and our time on earth and to really understand what the church is. And I think this is something that Jesus approached in a very unique way. Because often church nowadays is really based on our identity. I mean, you go to different parts of the country, it looks different because the culture is different. You probably wouldn't find nice cushiony chairs like this in Africa. They would say, meet us at this, tr this tree at 8 o'clock, and everybody would get there by noon, and that would be church. And that really does happen, and that time is even different in particular locations. And we would say, well, you're not a good church person, because we said 9.30 coffee was starting, and you came with your own coffee at 10. So you're not really part of this church. So there's different kind of cultures and contexts, but really, if there was only one church, one universal church, one idea of church that Jesus started, what is that tie that binds us? What is that understanding of church that is consistent in whatever expression in time and place that we attend or are the church? I think this is the very thing that Jesus wanted us to understand when he approached his disciples in Matthew 16. We'll start reading in verse 13 and on through uh, verse 20, but we'll do so in three different segments. Uh, Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And if we pause right there, there's two really important key components of this story already. First of all, it says that Jesus walked into Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a pagan land. It was a land that had recently changed its name after two different important figures in in their contemporary context, in their part of the world. They named it after two guys, two kind of bigwigs in the area, and they named it Caesarea Philippi, after Philip the Tetrarch and after Caesar Augustus. So they've come with this new name, and it's a, it's a land, too, that not only lifts up men in that kind of capacity, but also is a place that worship Baal, 
as the one true God. So Jesus walks into this kind of a context in a godless and a false god setting and in a place where men are lifted up and cities are changed to honor them. And he says, who do people say that I am? And that context is important because that's much like San Jose. San Jose is a place that maybe isn't named after somebody that we know, but is a place nevertheless that lifts up and worships gods who are not the God of the Bible. This is a place where technology, power, sex, and money are the things that win the day. Those are the things that capture the attention of the multitudes in San Jose. These are the people that are living in these new high-rises downtown and living in the big places around the city, and these are the people who are worshiping a lifestyle that is so bent on this world. There are so many different gods, are there not, in San Jose? So many different ways of thinking and living and being, and yet it's in this context, I believe, that Jesus is asking us, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is? And what's really interesting is that we would imagine, well, a bad thing would be if Jesus had a bad reputation, right? But it's not what we get at all from the disciples' response. The disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist and these other prophets. So Jesus has a good reputation. People actually respect this guy and think that he's actually worthwhile and contributes to society. And they think that he has something good to offer. And so Jesus has a good reputation in that place and time in the first century. And it's interesting how that hasn't really changed. Most people are not hostile to Jesus. They think, well, man, he was a great guy. Maybe even he was just a really neat hippie that had some cool things to say. And, you know, I don't have a problem with him. I really like Jesus. I don't think that he was offensive. I think that he was a nice guy. And I think that he would have sipped a latte with me any day. I really like him. I dig Jesus. But Jesus was not concerned about a good reputation. Often that's what we're really concerned with. I know I am. I don't really care what people say. As long as it's nice about me, you can believe whatever you want. If it's mean, like we'll talk and we'll have words. But if it's nice, I don't care if it's true or not. Just if you, if you think good thoughts about me, yes, I vote for that. Thank you. Because I'm so concerned about my reputation. I'm so concerned that people just love me. And then they, they can go about their day and not really think any negative thoughts. But Jesus wasn't just concerned with a good reputation. He didn't just want people to think good about him in a, in a pagan land. He wanted people to understand exactly who he was. And so it's from that context, from that idea, he turns from his disciples. Instead of asking, who do people say that I am? He turns to them and asks the same question, but directly at them. Verse 15 says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, Of course it's Simon Peter, the loud and obnoxious leader of the group, says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is extremely different from what that area was talking about. They're not saying that you're some prophet that's come back. They're not saying that you have some good things to say. But you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I wonder if we, when we reflect on who Jesus is, if this is what we think about. Or do we have some fabricated understanding of who Jesus is? And two things that we often do, even within the Christian church, is we go too far to the right or too far to the left. 
too far to one side says, well, Jesus is God. Let's hold him high, keep him in stained glass windows. Nobody really talk about him being on earth because he's God. Let's be very careful about how we use his name. But on the other side of holding him just as God, we can hold him just as a man. And to say, well, he was just a carpenter who did good things and he died for us and that's great. If we're to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is, we must proclaim and believe in the truth that Simon Peter spoke of. That Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter does two things when he describes Jesus in this way and really proclaims the identity of Christ in this way. First, he says that he was the Christ. Which means, look back into history, look back into the Old Testament, look back into all the scripture that we've been reciting and memorizing since we were kids. All of those prophecies, all of those ideas point to this moment in time. Not only so, but to this man, Jesus Christ. Peter is not just giving some title of Christ. What he is doing is making a proclamation that history is about to be culminating at a culminating point. And that the Messiah who was promised is now found in the man, Jesus Christ. Peter first says, you are the Christ. And then he says, you are the Son of the living God. So Jesus, not only do I know that you are the Messiah, but you are also God in the flesh. Not only are you the answer to all of these Old Testament prophecies and ideas, but you are the Son of God. You are God himself. And I wonder if this is who we see Jesus. When we think of the man Jesus, do we move too far to the left or right? Or do we understand that he is 100% man, 100% God, the answer to every prophecy, and he is actually God? Jesus was not concerned with a good reputation. Jesus was concerned with an accurate identity. And I wonder today if, as the church, we understand him in that identity. Do we understand that Jesus came as a man, but as God, too. Do we understand that it's not just some sort of idea that was made up, that he was kind of like God and that he was kind of like a man, but he was actually a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God in some sort of union that is difficult for us to understand. And by the way, it's okay for us to admit that that is really difficult to understand. We don't need to act like, well, I have faith that can move mountains, and that makes total sense to me. I wish you all would get on board. That's really hard to understand how that is truth. But if we have faith in Scripture, we understand that Scripture is speaking to just, to just that. So Jesus turns to his disciples and say, well, great, I have a good reputation in this world. Just as he did then, he so does now. He has a good reputation, but it's an inaccurate one. We must not stop to say, well, at least my friends and family think Jesus is a good guy. At least they think he's on par with Dr. Phil and Oprah and has some good things to say about life. Jesus is so not on par with Dr. Phil and Oprah. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He is the Christ and the Son of the living God. That is the identity which we must proclaim Jesus. That's the identity, then, that Jesus not only moves from that gospel message of who he is and who he was and who he will forever be, but now he says to Simon, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, in verse 17, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. 
This wasn't just something you came up with, Peter. This was a gift of knowledge that was given to you. Verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So first, Jesus says, absolutely right. Many would say that Jesus never makes a claim to be God in Scripture, but here we have one of many places where Jesus affirms that he is both the Messiah and God. Peter says, you are the Messiah and God, and Jesus says, blessed are you, because you're absolutely right. That is who I am. This is the reputation or identity that I was going for. Not just some prophet, some idea of a good guy, but I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because this wasn't given to you by man. This wasn't something that was just put together as a good idea by some guys that said, hey, let's make Jesus our God, because that would be fun. Everybody else is doing something like that, but let's do that for us. Go team, this is our new deal. But he's saying, this was given to you by the Father, by my Father from heaven, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the important transition for us. In a world, and really in a contemporary Christian context, where we're taking our own identities and building church out of that, Jesus is saying, on my identity, I will build my church. On my identity, Jesus says, I will build my church. Too often, whether we would say it or not, we take our identity and build our churches. Too often, we take our identity and build our churches. We say, this is the kind of music I like. This is the kind of talks I like to hear. These are the kind of people I like to be around. These are the kind of colors I like my church to be painted with. These are the kind of people I don't want to be around. And all of a sudden, we've taken our identity, the things we like and desire, and made a church that is not about Jesus, but it's about us. I would pray for Berryessa, and I would pray for City Church that we reject ideas of building churches on our own identity and moving towards Jesus, the original and the still consistent senior pastor of the church, and say, who is Jesus, and now what does his church need to look like? It's on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is shifting sand, and so it's on our identity that the church will fall apart. These walls will fall apart. Our ideas of church will fall apart unless it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Is that what this church is built on? Is that the rock on which you are allowing God to continue to build his church? Because too often we take the ideas of God, inject a little business, inject a little innovation, inject a little of our contemporary context, and say, this is probably what the Lord will bless. And all of a sudden, we have new messages of really inf infallible hope. And we're offering hopelessness to people who are already in hopelessness. We're saying, come to my church. We sing good songs, and we'll hug you. And yet, we don't give them the gospel message that Jesus died for your sins. I pray for Berryessa. I pray for City Church. I pray for San Jose, that we will build 
a church in general and little churches, localized expressions in specific that are built on the rock of Jesus' identity as the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the gospel message. And now Jesus moves towards a gospel mission. And he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, too often I believe that we believe the church to be a force field. We come to these walls within here and we get protection from the world. And we get a sense that we will not be around those who sin because we'll get it like osmosis. It's like swine flu. If I'm around them too much, I will probably become a sinner again. So I need to get into church and get away from them. And then we read a passage like this and think that hell is coming against us. Well, you see, a gate is not an offensive weapon. Unless you're a five-year-old boy, a gate is not an offensive weapon. Because a five-year-old boy, everything is an offensive weapon. I think when I was five, my favorite weapon was like a hat. I mean, just a baseball hat. And I could make anything a weapon. But a gate is not a weapon. So it's not something that Jesus is saying, hell is coming after you. So please get in the church and hide. What he's saying is that the church is on the move. And not even this land of death will hold us back. Because a gate holds things back. Jesus is saying not even death is going to hold us back because when we look in the future, Jesus is about to die and then rise again. And he's saying, just as I'm about to defeat death, so my church, because it's built on my identity, will not be overcome by death. Because you see, Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death and gave us God righteousness in life. Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death and gave us God righteousness and life. If you are in Christ this morning, those gifts are yours. Reconnection with God, a life moving towards righteousness, and life in general that you can have freedom. You have full life now and forever life in heaven because of what Jesus did. I pray that this would be the rock that our churches are built on. This would be the rock that our gospel message and our gospel mission would come together and move forward, that not even death can hold it back. This is what Jesus proclaimed when it was the first time he began to talk about the church. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom or the path towards this salvation. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then this is really interesting. In verse 20, he says, Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Are you joking? Jesus, this, let me, Jesus, let me just give you a better idea, because that's not a very good one. Um, you just gave us the best news ever, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're building this church that not even the, the death is going to hold back, and we're going to go do this thing. And then you say, by the way, don't do it yet. It's like a football coach getting his team in, the, in a huddle, getting him really excited. Everybody's got the war paint on. Their helmets are strapped. They're ready to go. And he says, by the way, after this great speech I give you, we're not going to have a game tonight. So hop back on the bus. It's been real, and we'll see you next week. So what, what's Jesus doing? This doesn't really make sense, and I feel like I can help Jesus out here. There'd be a better idea. But in his absolutely flawless perfection, Jesus has in mind something so much bigger. He says, wait, because there is another who is coming. Don't go yet, because this idea of Messiah is so controversial, you barely understand it, and I told you. So I don't want you to go out just yet, because I'm about to send you my spirit. 
Jesus was looking forward, and the same person, Peter, who proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is about to, in Acts 2, give this sermon where the Holy Spirit will be rained down on the people of God to now that the Holy Spirit will take residence in the life of Jesus' people and of God's people. But for us, the word is to not wait. Because for us, if we are in Christ, we have been given this gift of the Spirit. We see that Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death, and now we have been given God's righteousness and life. And so now we as the church, equipped with that gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and this gospel mission in the church, the vehicle by which Jesus is doing and presenting this message, we now go forward and we get to be that church. We get to be this church that is built on the rock of Jesus' identity. Not on the identity of ourselves so that no one can boast. Not on the identity of a good idea or that which is new, young, and innovative. Because this is the consistent current of our contemporary culture. Even some guys that I've been reading about who are planting a church in Chicago, one of their reasons for planting a sh church in Chicago was because when they looked in at this particular area of Chicago, said they didn't find a church that was new, young, and innovative. And so what they're really saying is that in order to be a church equipped with the gospel message and gospel mission, you need to be new, young, and innovative. Might I submit, and I want to do so humbly because I've been so convicted by this. Church is not about continually, continuing to rediscover what is new, young, and innovative and whatever the great new ideas to attract a crowd are. The gospel message and gospel mission of the church is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray, particularly those who are in my generation, in my gener if you just look at me and I look similar to you, it's probably your generation. We have a tendency to step towards what is new, young, and innovative, whether it be music, whether it be fashion or whatever it is. And so we also do that with church, is that we look for what's new, young, and innovative. And I fear that as we move towards what is new, young, and in innovative, we move away from the word of God, which says that the identity of the church is built on the identity of Christ. I pray that we would understand relevance has very little to do with dates and everything to do with truth. Something will not reach your friends and something will not reach your family, and something will not reach your setting because it's new. It will reach your setting, and your friends' lives will be changed because it's true. That's the gospel message, is that Jesus died for our sins, and it's an endless truth of hope. I pray that we would step away from simply going after what is fresh, what is new and trendy, and move towards consistently who Jesus is. May we not move away from the Word of God. Unfortunately, a church that preaches the Word of God is becoming a distinct thing. Someone will ask you, hey, well, at your church, do they preach the Word? Well, is there any other kind of church, I would ask? Is there any other kind of church that preaches the Word? Because in that same thing, we're trying to find what's new, young, and innovative, and we think that the Bible isn't. I pray with Barry Essa and also with City Church that we would not overthink church to the capacity that we find new things to do that are void of Scripture. Because like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And that there is a wisdom 
and continuing to move towards Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray that for Berryessa. I pray that for myself with City Church. And I pray for this valley, this San Jose area. Because if we build churches unto ourselves, hopelessness will continue. But if we build a church and churches on the identity of Christ, hopelessness will be conquered. That's what I pray for the San Jose area. That's what's brought me back to downtown San Jose. That's what's brought me into partnership with Barry Essen, not because I have a good idea, but because Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king, and I desire to go on mission so that worship will exist where it doesn't. And I pray that you would too. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Father, we beg for this. We beg that our mission would not be something that's new, young, and innovative and really neat and something that we think we've come up with. Father, we confess that we've built churches on our own identity and that we look for churches that look like us. I pray, God, that we would go after and build churches, build your church based on your identity as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's in that name alone that we worship, and it's in that name alone that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.